question is a good question. If there's one God, God, why in that case are there so many religions? Actually, it is estimated that there are over 4,200 different religions. And generally speaking, they not only con contradict each other, but each also claims to be the exclusive way to God. 4,200 religions. And in an age such as ours, it's unfashionable to believe that actually anybody has the inside track on truth. Uh, I woke this morning, did as I, I often do, just looked at the news headlines, see what's going on. One of the news headlines this morning concerned the teaching of religion in schools. I don't know if you saw it. And I suddenly thought, wow, this is what I'm talking about. Where folks have got together and they are saying, how are we going to teach religions? How are we going to teach different worldviews? Because they're all the same. And in this pluralist society in which we live, we need to be fair and open. And there is something about our society in which we admire people who have different and quirky religious beliefs. So in the census, I don't know if it happened in Scotland, it was certainly true in the England and Wales census, uh, we admire all those who put down Jedi Knight on their census forms and we think, oh, that's wonderfully quirky. And we would feel uncomfortable with anyone who wants to criticize any belief system that others might find helpful. And it's quite possible that as you look upon the Christian, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> upon the Christian faith, you look upon it as just one of many in that great buffet of world religions. And you just choose what suits you. A little from this. A little from that. And all garnished with seasoning from another. And what's the harm? As long as you're sincere and, and you retain your place at the center of the universe, able to make those choices, what's the harm? Well, I'm not in the least surprised by the number of religions that litter the sea. In fact, actually, I think there are far far more religions than the 4,200 listed on the web. Because by our very natures, we are worshipping people. There's something about the very way that we're made that makes each one of us a worshipper in some form or another. You know, I'm giving away my age, but let me quote Bob Dylan. He famously put it like this in one of his songs. It will be on screen. Don't know whether you'll be able to uh, manage to read the words. But he wrote this. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. You might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. You might have drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high degree thief. They, you, they may call you doctor, they may call you chief. 
You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barbershop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress, maybe somebody's heir. Might like to wear cotton, might like to wear silk, might like to drink whiskey, might like to drink milk. You might like to eat caviar. You might like to eat bread. You may be sleeping on the floor, sleeping in a king-size bed, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And I want to suggest that there are two major reasons why there are so many religions. Two main reasons why our default settings are to serve somebody. The first is this. There's a feeling that something is missing. There's a feeling that something is missing. Back in 398 AD, a great theologian, Augustine of Hippo, wrote this. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Our hearts are restless. In 1670, Blaise Pascal, who's probably France's greatest mathematician and philosopher, wrote something similar. He wrote this, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. And similarly, the great English writer and academic C.S. Lewis pointed out that this God-shaped hole that many have observed over the millennia is something actually that is universally experienced. He observed that in many languages, unlike English, they have a specific word that conveys something of this longing. And he pointed to the German expression, Zehnsocht. And again, if you're a German speaker, please forgive me, but Zehnsocht. Literally translated, this German term means desire or, or longing. But the concept is much stronger than the English word conveys. We don't have such a word in our language. And in 1977, two Swedish, let me call them sociologists, called Benny and Bjorn, uh, <laughs> that's them, um, articulated their similar musings as they were looking upon the uh, human condition. Actually, we're fortunate enough to have a recording of what they were proposing. Could we maybe play that, please? And the building is still standing. <laughs> it's got to be rock and roll, they suggested, to fill the hole in your soul. This is the universal experience. There is a sense that something is missing, that there's a hole in 
your soul. There is that sense that we're incomplete. There is a universal sense that somehow there's more. And therefore, we'll try to fill this hole in our soul with a variety of substitutes. Maybe for you, the real driver in your life is relationships. You've been looking for a love that truly satisfies, perhaps in your partner, perhaps in your family. And, and you know what, however wonderful these things may be, you still feel disappointed. You still feel you're coming up short. The one you thought was your soulmate actually hasn't fully met all those deepest needs that you're conscious of. There's still a sense of loneliness and isolation, even in the very best relationship. Can I suggest it can happen in the realm of gender and sexuality? Some people are looking for a fulfillment that they thought should be theirs, but it hasn't arrived. They still feel incomplete, and so they start asking questions, wondering whether their happiness might be found elsewhere. For others, they're investing all their time and energy in pursuing the corporate dream. They're looking for a level of pay and accomplishment that they believe will bring them what they're looking for, and it drives them Monday to Saturday, working all hours because they want to keep climbing that corporate ladder because that particular position that they ache for, that particular salary packet at the end of the month is what they crave, and they think when they've got it, they'll be happy. Whilst others spend their time using what money they have to buy things and gadgets and clothes and cars and furniture. Because when they do, there's a thrilling buzz that seems to satisfy. The problem is it soon seems to wear off until the next retail fix. And for still others, what matters most, what brings the greatest satisfaction is the sense of acknowledgement and identity that's generated through social media. They live for their next like on their Facebook or their Instagram or their Snapchat account. They'll listen out for the next ping that alerts them to a comment or a picture someone has posted. They'll check their phone at least 15 times a day. But if there's a nasty comment, or even worse, if there's no comment at all, then life can spiral down because they are looking for something, acknowledgement from their peers that at times may not be there. You see, for the whole of humanity, there's a sense that something is missing, that there's a hole in the soul. And so much energy and devotion is directed towards filling it. By the way, if you've been sitting here and you're thinking, well, that's interesting, Andy, but I don't fall into any of those categories, can I just say, if you want to have an idea what your false idol is or what your fake religion is, just think about what makes you angry. What makes you angry? Because that actually gives you an insight into what really matters for you. Because whatever blocks your longing stirs your temper. 
What do you get angry about? My friends, I would suggest that's what you are looking towards to find your joy, your hope, your fulfillment. And this is sometimes where religion, formal or otherwise, arises. It's just a response to that inner sense of longing. And it can take a whole variety of forms. But there's another driver to this religious impulse. And for the sake of memorability, I'm describing it in this way. Secondly, there's a feeling that something is messing. There's a feeling that something is messing. Because as well as a universal sense that something is missing, there's also in each one of us a sense that not all is well. With us. With others. With the world. There's a deep-rooted sense of failure and disconnect. Let me suggest some ways you and I might feel that. There's guilt. And irrespective of whether you've come from a Christian background or not, there's a sense that you haven't been living up to your own standards. You sense failure. You feel a troubling conscience. It's what Dave was telling us last Sunday. There's guilt. Secondly, there's fear. There's a sense that we're not completely in control, that there are forces, both natural and supernatural, that are beyond our control. And there is a sense uh, that there is danger and darkness that is lurking not far from each one of us. There's fear. And there's shame. Some of you born in the two-thirds world will be more aware of this than necessarily those of us who are, uh, are born in the West. You see, you don't want to let the family or the clan down. You're terrified of bringing disgrace to your elders. And for some here, your driver for your academic studies is not to let the side down. You've got to pass, and you've got to pass well. You can't afford to return home if there are issues relating to your behavior or to your achievement. Because of shame that may come upon you and that you therefore bring upon those closest to you. There's shame. And then there's meaning. We're desperately trying to make sense of the world we live in. We have big question marks about why we're here and what's the point. And tragically, the greatest killer of men under the age of 50 is now suicide. About 84 men each week take their lives in the UK, often asking just that question. This universal question. What's the point? And then, of course, there's death itself. Uniquely, of all the creatures on our planet, it's humanity that has a consciousness of death. And for all we do and all we say, there is still a terrible sadness and ache at the passing of a loved one. It just seems so wrong. You see, you may be here this morning and, and you may say, uh, well, I, I don't buy into this. I, I just have a very natural view of this world. We just came into being by chance and we're going to go through life. And when I get to a certain age, I'm going to die and that's it. It's just, 
going atoms back into two atoms. But I tell you this, you can still believe that, but if someone who is close to you and who you love dies, it is going to affect you. You're not just going to say, oh, well, that's how things go. There is going to be something that is going to resonate in your heart that tells you this doesn't feel right. This feels wrong. It's a little wonder that mankind tries to devise religious systems that attempt to answer all these problems that mess with our heads and mess with our hearts. You see, just as our early forefathers learned to clothe themselves when they got cold or feed themselves when they got hungry, so they devised religions for themselves to cope with all these deep questions. But for us this morning, in this place, the massive question that confronts us is this. Does the message of Jesus Christ fit into such a construction? You see, the way many view religion in our culture is, is like this picture that you'll see on screen. They, they think it's like a mountain leading up to God. And they say, oh yeah, there are many roads that you can choose to, to, to get up there. And many roads, we've just listed three Islam, Christianity, and Hinduism. But folks say, oh, there are many, many roads that just lead up the mountain, just different routes uh, that you're taking. And indeed, they say it's going to be wrong. You don't criticize one path over another. They say different strokes for different folks, which sounds very plausible. But of course, this whole idea is based upon massive arrogance. In that the one who states this idea is suggesting that unlike those poor benighted folk who are traveling these paths, they themselves can see the whole mountain. And they get the whole picture. These poor religious people who have need of religion. They're just going up one of the paths to, to, to God. What arrogance can I suggest it also betrays a deep ignorance of what the message of Jesus really means? You see, that picture that is the common picture as we deal with the question of religions, that picture gives us a picture of people struggling up a path to reach God. Whereas true Christianity is not a message of man's search for God but a story of God's search for man. It's a story of God's gracious initiative to rescue fallen, helpless people. You see, all man-made religions are built upon the idea of trying to please their particular deity. You know, so you can earn that deity's favor and acceptance. That's somewhat what Rainer was saying to us. And this is humanity's default setting. Keep to the rules, whatever they may be, and find acceptance through your behavior. But friends, I have to tell you this. The real message about Jesus, the unique message about Jesus, is diametrically opposed to such thinking. Philip Yancey tells us this story. He, he wrote this. During a British conference on comparative religions, Experts from around the world debated what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith. 
they began eliminating possibilities. Incarnation? Other religions had different versions of gods appearing in human form. Resurrection? Again, other religions had accounts of return from death. The debate went on for some time until C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. What's the rumpus about, he asked, and heard in reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. Lewis responded, oh, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. And after some discussion, the conferees had to agree. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, and the Muslim code of law, each of these offers a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. You see, this is the unique, this is the glorious, this is the counterintuitive message of the Bible. Our hope is not in religion, but in relationship. Religion enslaves. Jesus liberates. Religion demands. Jesus gives. Religion disappoints. Jesus satisfies. You see, my friends, the message of Jesus is rooted in history. From the creation of the world to its culmination. It is anchored in facts. It is verifiable in time and place. It is open to examination. The message of Jesus makes sense of the emptiness and the brokenness that we all feel. It reveals the depth of our rebellion and the towering, stunning, infinite love of an infinitely holy God. It gives meaning. And the message of Jesus is about how God entered our time and space and lived among us. How Jesus took upon himself the guilt and the shame of people like us as he died the death we deserved and as he rose victorious. The message of Jesus is for whoever would come. It's not limited by nationality or class or background. It's not negated by failure. Remarkably, it welcomes the outsider and gives an identity that transcends all others. The message of Jesus gives hope and joy. It gives life to the full in a broken world and it points to a glorious hope in the renewed and restored creation that is to come. My friends, won't you come? Won't you come to Jesus? I'm not inviting you to join a religion to hell with religion. I'm asking you to come to Jesus. I'm asking you to open your mind. I'm asking you to open your heart. And you can come just as you are, 
with all that baggage, with all that failure, and you can even this morning find in Jesus the life and the hope that your body has been aching for. Come to Jesus. Look, I, I haven't had that long, it may seem I've had that long, but I haven't had that long to try and unpack this. There is so much more that we could say about other religions, so much more that we could say about the Christian faith. I have given you, as we the expression we've been using this morning, is the Twitter account, the shorthand of these things. We want you to think more. We want you to engage with this. As we mentioned, we have a connect corner. It's out at the front entrance by the left-hand side. If you want to know more, Go and connect. Ask the question. Say, look, I, I profoundly disagree with that guy, but, but I just want to think a bit more. Tell me more. Help me more. Folks would love to help you more. And, and if I could tell you, there is a group called Glad You Asked. Uh, if you have your news sheet, you will find it on the top right-hand corner of the inside. There is a contact detail there. If you want to go along tomorrow evening, and be part of this group that is asking these questions. And ask your questions. And it gives you a setting in which you can do that. Just have a look at that as well. Do something there in that corner. Talk to someone. Do something with the Glad You Asked group. Because we don't want you to follow a religion. We want you to find Jesus as your Lord and your friend and your Savior. Because he is absolutely worthy in every way. Let's pray.